This morning, we begin a series that I did not anticipate. It will be a short series on the prophet Elijah. I can only tell you that I have been led to this message and to this series after much thought and prayer by the Holy Spirit. I will not tell you why I think he led me to this series or to this message, as I think it will become obvious this morning and through the rest of the series. Before we begin, let's pray together. Our Father, what a privilege it is to be in the same room again with our fellow priests Our Father, you've not only called us to be prophets to the world around us at Christ Presbyterian, taking the gospel into your world, into the world around us, into Fayette County, taking the gospel by word, by what we say, by the way we live, in every aspect of our lives. We pray that you would empower the gospel in our lives through your spirit. But Father, we also come as priests You've called us to be priests, to come before you for the world around us, to pray and, and, and to be priests for others. We come this morning for our brothers and sisters in Christ. For Matt Edwards, we pray that, Father, you would bring comfort, powerful comfort to him in the loss of his father. We pray for Tony Hunt. Father, he's ready for this ordeal to be over, I'm sure. But for whatever reason, we know that it's by your hand and by your purpose. And we pray that in this time you would cause these antibiotics to be effective against this infection, and he would be healed completely in these next few weeks of treatment. Father, we pray for Billy Griggs. We ask that you would continue to cause him to look ahead to the future with great anticipation, with great joy, knowing that you have a place prepared for him. And teach all of us to live that way at any age. We pray for Claire Reddit and Ray Lynch that you would restore their eyesight, that you would strengthen their eyesight. Bless Rich Yeager. You know his needs, and we pray that you would bless him and draw him close. We pray for Hayes Laughlin, that you would bring healing. We pray, Father, for Tim Keller. We pray that you would bring healing to seem what's an impossible situation. We thank you for his ministry and the the way you've used him, not only in New York City, but the way that you've used him, not only in our denomination, but across the world. And we prayed in these days you would comfort him, comfort his wife, and I pray that he would preach, continue to preach, as always, in the power of your Holy Spirit. Our Father, we thank you for the fathers of our congregation, for the faithfulness of our fathers. We pray this morning that you would bless us as husbands, as fathers, 
we pray that, that, Father, you would teach us to be constantly mindful of what it means to be a husband, to that godly calling that you have given us, that our children might see what godly husbands are. We pray that you would teach us to be fathers and grandfathers. Teach us what it means to hand your word, to hand Jesus Christ to the next generation and to the next generation. Oh, Father, where we need to repent as fathers and husbands, bring us to repentance. Teach us to love our wives as Christ loved the church. Restore the hearts. Restore our hearts to our children, our children's hearts to us. Now, as we open your word this morning, we pray that you would teach us. John Sartell cannot teach, so it will make any difference in our lives. But we pray in these next few minutes that we would hear your voice in our hearts. That we be changed. Change that either continues a growth that started some time ago <clears throat> when you changed us. Or maybe a change this morning for the first time. Oh, bless, Father. Bless your people this morning as we open your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Rick Abernathy, could you get me a, a little water, please? Thank you. When does a godly man pray for a drought? Elijah. Elijah. He was a non-writing prophet in the Old Testament. What I mean is that he was not an Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, or Daniel. There's not a book in the Old Testament that bears his name. Yet he is of such renown that he is the last prophet mentioned in the Old Testament in Malachi 5 or Malachi 4 verse 5 just one verse away from the end of the Old Testament we read behold God says behold I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes he did not mean that Elijah himself would return he was saying one like Elijah would immediately precede the Messiah Remember, Jesus himself looked at John the Baptist and called him that Elijah which was prophesied. It was Elijah and Moses that spoke with Jesus on that mountain when mountaintop when he was transfigured before James and John and Peter. He was taken, Elijah. Elijah was taken from this earth in the most unusual way. No person in Scripture departed this earth with more drama than Elijah's departure. The best way to think of Elijah is to think of him as a green beret. 
a man of action, a man of perpetual motion. Consider the way that he walks onto the stage in Scripture. In the last part of chapter 16 of 1 Kings, the writer is simply setting the stage. We read it this morning. The writer was talking about Ahab. But what he was doing was setting the stage for what he knew was coming next. He was setting the stage for the entrance of Elijah. Let's look at that passage. Ahab was the king of the northern kingdom of Israel. The wickedness, now this was the people of God. The wickedness of his father Omri exceeded the evil of all the preceding kings. You would think it couldn't get any worse. However, as we read this morning, Ahab's wickedness surpassed that of his father's. Ahab took the wife of the daughter of Ethbaal, the king of Tyre, to be his wife, an ungodly king, a pagan king. And he took her to be his wife. Her name, you know her, she was Jezebel. She was devoted to the worship of Baal and was probably a royal priestess in the house of Baal. Baal was the chief god in the pantheon of the elite class of Canaan. This is where everyone wanted to go to worship. This is where everyone wanted to be. Ahab built a temple for Baal in Samaria. Now, Samaria was the capital of the northern kingdom of Israel. And here in the northern kingdom of Israel, the capital in Samaria, the king built a temple, not to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but to Baal. And he put an altar of Baal in that temple. Ahab and Jezebel carried out a nationwide eradication of pogrom against the prophets of God in Israel. They were murdered. They were slaughtered right and left. What about that strange verse 34 at the end of chapter 16? What's that about? The writer has been demonstrating the excessive evil in the land of Ahab and Jezebel. And adds at the end, look at it in verse 34. And in his day, that's Ahab's days, Heel of Bethel built Jericho. He laid its foundation at the cost of Abiram, his firstborn, and he set its, up its gates at the cost of his youngest, Sejan, according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke by Joshua, the son of Nun. Joshua, centuries before now, this was not recent, centuries before, Joshua had prophesied, when he destroyed Jericho, that anyone who tried to build, rebuild Jericho would do so at great cost. He said, when they lay the foundation, they're going to lose one son. When they put up the gates, they'll lose another. That's exactly what happened. Ahab paid no attention to what God said. He had no paid no attention to Joshua's prophecy. He simply did not believe or he did not care. Jericho was in a strategic position, a strategic location. And Ahab wanted a fortification there. That's all that mattered. When he laid the foundation, his firstborn died. When he put up the gates, Siju, his youngest, died. All Ahab was doing, he had Heel do this. He was behind it all. Ahab was echoing the words of Satan in Eden. 
Hath God said? Really? Really hath God said? Unbelief, idolatry, gross immorality, and murder dominated the culture of Ahab and Jezebel. These were the people of God. This was the culture to which Elijah came. Elijah's entrance was quite dramatic. Then came, that's what's happened. He said, here's the evil. Then came Elijah. This morning we'll focus only on verse 1 of chapter 17. As the Lord, the Lord God of Israel lives before whom I stand, there shall be neither dew nor rain these years except by my word. How did Elijah know? This is really interesting, folks. Hang with me. How did Elijah know that a drought had begun? How do most announcements by prophets begin? Most of the scripture we read, thus saith the Lord. That's what the prophet says. Those words are absent here. The truth is, Elijah had prayed that it would not rain. Look at James 5, 17. Elijah was a man like us. He prayed earnestly. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. The drought started with Elijah praying. Why did he pray for a drought? We'll answer that question in a bit, but first I want you to see that he prayed a discerning prayer. This is important. Elijah prayed this prayer because he was a man who understood what was happening in the world around him. How did he understand what was happening in the world around him? He looked at the world around him through the lens of God's word. Recently, in the last year, I've really become interested. Don't you all give me a hard time about this. Come on. I've become interested. I used to, to constantly hunt quail and grouse and still do. But I really became interested in the birds I was seeing in, in my backyard in Oakland or when I walked through the woods or when I walked through the neighborhood. And so we bought a really nice pair of binoculars. They can get expensive. And I began to see these birds like I'd never seen them before. I looked through those binoculars. Terry and I looked through them. And it's, it's really interesting. Well, what what happened with Elijah? He's looking at the world around him through the binoculars of God's word, through the lens of God's word. You say, what do you mean? Well, his Bible was made up of the first five books, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, the Pentateuch. He had read the book of Deuteronomy. Look at Deuteronomy eleven sixteen. Take care, lest your heart be deceived. Be deceived. Now, this is what God was saying to his people. Take care, lest your heart be deceived, and you Turn aside and serve other gods and worship them. Then the anger of the Lord will be kindled against you, and he will shut up the heavens so that there will be no rain, and the land will yield no fruit, and you will perish quickly off of the good land that the Lord is giving you. As Israel was preparing to go into the land that God had given them, what sin did he warn them of more than any other sin? idolatry. It's on every page of the book of Deuteronomy. Don't you forsake me. Don't you chase after other gods. Over and over again, God said, if you do, I will send pestilence and I will send drought. Read the book of Deuteronomy. Elijah had read that and he simply took 
God at his word. He knew what was happening in Israel. He knew God was living. He knew his promises were true. He knew a drought had to come if God was just. So did he pray and then just announce to Abraham or to, to Ahab that the drought was coming? Is that pray to go tell Ahab? No. The drought had already begun when Elijah went to Ahab. How do I know that? Now, this gets a little bit, you, you've got to pay attention to the detail. But this detail, you need to see it. So hang with me. Look at 1 Kings 18.1. Now, this is at the end of the drought. After a long time, in the third year of the drought, the Lord, the word of the Lord came to Elijah. Go and present yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain on the land. So almost three years, that verse says, almost three years after Elijah spoke to Ahab, God commands him to go see Ahab again. So it had been almost three years since Elijah first spoke to Ahab. Now Jesus talks about this. Look at Luke 4.25. I assure you that there were many more widows in Israel in Elijah's time. When the sky was shut up, and Jesus is very specific here, when the sky was shut up for three and a half years, there was a severe famine throughout the land. Jesus said the drought lasted three years, six months. Since the drought ended right after Elijah spoke to Ahab, the drought had to have started six months before Elijah's first announcement to Ahab. Do you follow so here's the chronology. Elijah had read Deuteronomy. He saw the wickedness, the idolatry in the land. He prayed that God would keep his covenant promises and bring a drought. Then he recognized the beginning of the drought. Then he announced the drought to Ahab. Now, people, that is a prayer of tremendous discernment. Discerning God's word and discerning what was happening in the culture. Let me ask you. Do you pray discerning prayers? Do you pray or your prayers reflect the discernment that you're looking at the world around you through God's word? The only way you can do that is to look at the world around you through the lens of God's word. Do you look at your family through the lens of God's word? Do you look at your economic situation through the lens of God's word? Do you look at your marriage through the lens of God's word? Do you look at what's happening in Fayette County through the lens of God's word? Do you look at what's happening in this country? Look at all that's happening in this country. Are you looking at that through the lens of God's word? It has to do, listen, this is about your world and life view. You either look at the world around you from your own secular or selfish or sinful perspective, or you look at the world around you through the lens of God's word. It's, it's simple. <clears throat> when you see, take, take a simple illustration. When you see a spoiled child, I mean one who is just rotten. I like that phrase, spoiled, rotten. My parents used to say to me, John, you're spoiled, rotten. I didn't know what that was. I didn't know when things spoiled, they got rotten. But that, that's, a, that's a pretty clear picture. Is We've seen spoiled children, and they are all rotten. One who always gets his one way, his own way. Where did he come from? You look at that through the lens of God's word, and you say that little that child's life is being ruined. 
But you look at it through the lens of God's word. And you know that his parents did not look at that child through the lens of God's word. That's how we're to look at the world around us. You see that this is a discerning prayer. We'll come back to that. Secondly, I want you to see a powerful prayer. Do you understand that Elijah prayed that it would not rain and it did not rain for over three years? Look at James 5, 16 and 17. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. And then he sets forth this doctrine. Here's the doctrine. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Now, that's the doctrine. The prayer of a righteous person has power. Next, he gives an example. He says, for instance, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. He prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years, six months, it did not rain on the earth. That's the example. Here's the doctrine. Prayer of a righteous person is powerful. Look at Elijah. He prayed and it did not rain. Question. Did Elijah have the power to stop the rain? No. If he had the power to stop the rain, he could have just said, stop, rain. He, he would have commanded like Jesus did, and just by fiat, and it would have stopped. That's not what he did. What made his prayer so powerful? We've already seen one reason. He prayed a discerning prayer, looking through the lens of God's word at the world around him. Secondly, he actually dared to pray. I mean, none of you, I, I don't think any of us have ever prayed for a drought. Maybe we should have. He actually prayed. He actually prayed for what seemed to ordinary people to be impossible. It's not going to rain for three years. Thirdly, he spoke to a living God who was omnipotent. He knew the God who could stop the rain. The power of all our prayers. Elijah's power in prayer didn't lie with him. The power of Elijah's prayer was God. The power of your prayers is an omnipotent God. Go back and look at verse 1 again. What did Elijah say to Ahab? As the Lord, the God of Israel lives before whom I stand. God was not an idea or an imagination in Elijah's mind. There's no accident. That's writer here says that he said, the Lord God of Israel lives. Ahab, Baal does not live. Baal is an idol. Baal is something you've created in your own imagination. He does not exist. But the God of Israel, almighty, omniscient, he lives. He's alive. Baal was not alive. Ahab, you're about to find out that the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is really alive. You're about to find out that the God of Israel is a living God. Elijah was standing in front of the king of Israel. Ahab was no small king. He had done battle with Syria and won. He was impressive enough to marry this pagan king. The pagan king wanted to make peace with Ahab. And here Elijah, just prophet, preacher, stood before Ahab. But how did Elijah look at it? He was not standing before a great king. What did he say? As the Lord, the Lord God of Israel lives before whom I stand. But you say, John, we're not Elijah's. You're not Elijah. I'm not Elijah. God knew we would say that. Look at James 15, 
16 and 17, the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like us. He didn't wear wings. He didn't have a halo. It was not his personality, his genius, his physical strength or charisma that made him into what he became. He was a man like us. What made the difference? He laid hold of the promises of God. He took God at his word because he knew God was living. This normal man, you understand, he affected his day in a powerful way. And he was a man like you. He was a man like me. He sinned. Yes, he sinned. He lied. No person has ever lived on this earth except Jesus. He didn't lie. He thought evil thoughts. He put other things ahead of God. The American dream that you can be anything you want to be, folks, it's a lie. I could live another thousand years. I couldn't play basketball like LeBron James and Michael Jordan. You can't put in what God leaves out. But that kind of talent and ability is not what made Elijah Elijah. He was a man like us. He simply looked at the world through the lens of God's word. He knew God was living. And he was jealous for God's honor for his people's ultimate health. So it was a discerning prayer. It was a powerful prayer. And that brings us then to a spiritually strategic prayer. I ask you at the beginning, how could Elijah pray for a drought? That seems like a terrible prayer. <clears throat> Elijah, very simply, was jealous for God. He looked at the world around him. He looked at a lost world. He looked at a world full of God's people, full of morality. This, this was not the Sidonians. This, this was not Egypt. This was not Babylon. This was, a, these were the, this was a people of God. He was jealous for the name of God. God's name was being slandered. He was jealous. For the glory of God. His, the glory of God, the God of Israel, the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob was being dragged through the filth. And Elijah was simply a reflection of God's jealousy. He was jealous for the... What did, what did God say to Israel when he said, you shall have no other gods before me? You'll not have idols. You'll not have other gods before me. What did he say? For... I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. Elijah reflect, reflected that jealousy. He was saying, God, show them. Show them that you're God. Prove to them that you're God. Return, give them sight again to see the power of your name, to see that you live, to see your glory. He was also jealous for the people of God. This was a caring prayer. He was praying this for the ultimate good of Israel. Yes, it would be an awful drought. But maybe, maybe they would learn. Maybe they would return and see the glory, the name of God. This was a good jealousy. We sometimes pray prayers for our children. They're not jealous prayers. Jealous for God. Listen to me. I've done this. We've all done this. We've prayed for the success. Father, give them the grades. Help them to make the grades. 
give them success in this in these athletic events. Give them the fraternity or the sorority that, that they desire. Give them a college education. Give them financial success. Let me ask you something. What if God grants your prayer and they have all of this, but they don't have him? And they don't know about his name and they don't know about his glory. They get the fraternity. They get the college. They get the money. They become the athlete. And they think they're self-made. This is, this is huge, folks. Are your prayers, are our prayers, first about the glory of God in the world around us? Do you want God to be acclaimed in your children's lives, in your life? Do you want him to be recognized and praised and honored? Are our, prayers, are our prayers driven by jealousy for God's honor and glory? I pray, Father, that I'll be jealous for you. Have you ever prayed that prayer? I pray, Father, that I'll be jealous for the well-being, the, the real well-being of my children. And it's not about college or grades. It's about their relationship to you. I don't know who Jonah's mother was. I know he had one. Everybody does. I wonder if she prayed for Jonah to be a prophet. I wonder if she prayed for him to be a faithful prophet. I wonder if Jonah's mother said, God, whatever you need to do to keep that boy faithful as a prophet, you do it. You know what that prayer would have brought in Jonah's life? It would have it would have put him in the middle of an awful ship sinking storm. It would have put him in the belly of that fish. That wasn't the very place to be. Sometimes if we pray honest prayers, that's what we'll pray. If you don't pray for God's glory and God's name to be honored in the world around you, If you walk through life blindly seeking success you'll be putting your family in grave danger. Do we pray discerning prayers? Do we pray prayers jealous for God? In the world around us. I read an interesting story about a little boy named David. He was a two-year-old. He had leukemia. His mother's name was Deborah, and she took him to Massachusetts General Hospital to see a well-known doctor, Dr. John Truman, who specialized in treating children with cancer and blood diseases. Dr. Truman's prognosis was devastating, that Little David had a 50-50 chance. There were countless visits, as you can imagine. All these tests, he got stuck all over with needles. It was could be quite miserable, horrible. And we've, As parents, sometimes we've taken our children to the doctor. We've experienced that. It hurts. 
his mother was always very clear to him before they went to the doctor that the doctor was trying to help him. And sometimes it hurt that the doctor was trying to help him. He said, Dr. Truman's trying to help you. Just remember that. And he always went eager to get there and eager to see. They always greeted him and treated him so with, with as he was so special. One day he had to have a spinal tap. His mother explained to him what it would be like and that it would hurt, but Dr. Truman was trying to help him. And it was horrendous. She said that the nurses had to, it took three nurses to hold David still and he yelled, he sobbed. By this time he was three years old. When he was over, soaked in sweat and tears, he looked up at the doctor. He said, thank you, Dr. Tooman, for my hurting. Sometimes hurting is necessary. It was necessary in Ahab's day. Sometimes if we are to pray a prayer that's jealous for God's glory in our lives and our families, we must pray for the hurting. That's where our prayers will lead us. And they're really caring prayers. Look at the world around us. Some of us would say right now, our world needs hurting. You just don't live the way we live and treat God the way we treat him and treat his word the way we treat his word. You just can't do it. Is your first concern, we'll close here, is your first concern the name of God in the world around you? Is your first concern the glory of God in the world around you? Is that what you see in our nation? As the people of God, the best thing we can do for the world around us is to do what God's called us to do. To be jealous for his name and for his glory. Amen.